Welcome to episode three of the Sharps Report. My name is Matt Peralt here on bettingpros.com. Each and every week, we talk to a different bookmaker, market maker, sports gambler, or media member here on this podcast to talk about what's happening in the sports gambling industry. You guys may know me, Matt Peralt, from the Daily Juice podcast. This is a one-hour conversation with myself and Captain Jack Andrews. Now, Captain Jack is not his real name, obviously, but Captain Jack Andrews is a professional sports gambler who has decided to help us in the media, in the sports gambling world by giving us tremendous content, talking about the sports gambling world, and breaking down how you can become a better sports gambler. He is also a part of a brand new website called unabated.com himself and Rufus Peabody, the other professional sports gambler have gotten together to launch this new venture that will come out before the start of the NFL season. Captain Jack and I had a lengthy conversation about the sports gambling industry, about where we are headed, about what's happening behind the counter, how to recognize markets and how the offshore markets influence what happens on the lines that you bet on every single day. Without further ado, my conversation for the Sharps Report with Captain Jack Andrews. Welcome to episode number three of the Sharps Report. My name is Matt Peralt here on bettingpros.com, and we are really, really excited to welcome back a guest who has been on the Daily Juice podcast before, but now on this new venture, it's a long-form podcast. It's a long conversation with Captain Jack Andrews, a guy who I have recommended. If you're a Juice listener, you know how I've spoken highly about professional gambler and now gambling content producer on his YouTube channel, but Captain Jack Andrews joining us here on the Sharp Report. Captain, how are you? Matt Peralt. Hey, Matt. It is great to talk to you again. Uh, didn't think we'd get back to this anytime soon, but this is this is great timing. Yeah. So here we are in the sports gambling world heading towards football. We're in kind of like the doldrums. That's why kind of we started this because we're not in the in the heat of it as of yet. So people have got some time to kind of think about the upcoming season. But as a whole right now, give me your feeling about the sports gambling industry and, and what's happening currently. Are you happy with it? Are we headed down a dark path? Where are we right now in sports gambling? Well, I think in many ways we're we're on a rocket ship to the moon right now to steal a phrase from the crypto community. <laughs> it is it is just taking off and it, it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on and this is you're right this is the period where everybody is rushing to get something done before the NFL season because hey, the NFL is king, it is always going to be king. So if you're a gambling operator, you want to make sure you have your product in front of people in time for the NFL season. So on a whole, though, um, I would say the the whole is a net positive with the gaming industry right now. There are things that annoy people and annoy myself. But on the whole, I think this is better than it was before we had legalized, regulated gambling across the United States. Do you guys who are, I'll call you guys the OGs, do you mind everyone crashing your party? Are you, are you okay with all these newbies like me and other people who have come into the space over the last five years? I am. Uh, I, I find myself using the phrase, the tide lifts all boats. And I think that's true of everything in the gambling space. Because what I do in picking off sharp numbers and sharp angles uh, requires liquidity in the market. 
And the more people that are in the market, the more liquidity there is, the less I get noticed, which is good for me. That's good for the operators. That's good for the recreational bettors who just want a place to make their entertainment tax, to, to pay their entertainment tax. Uh, that's good for the aspirational bettors because now there is a higher ceiling for them to get involved and to grow under. So I think the tide is lifting all boats at this point. Do you think they're... Somebody made this comment to me a couple of months ago, and I was sort of I don't want to say I was depressed by it because I am a sports fan first and foremost. And so I I care a lot about the sports gambling industry and I want it to thrive. But somebody said, you know, that sports gambling is just sort of a Trojan horse to get online casinos up and running in all 50 states. And that's the real money that everyone's looking at. Sports betting is not going to be the real big money maker down the road that these companies are all banking on. Is that fair? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, if if I wasn't the one that told you that, then uh, you know maybe I could have been because I've I've used that same analogy that sports betting is largely what the people want, and the state governments are saying, well, the people really want this. They don't want to be without sports betting. Everybody else is doing it. We might as well legalize it and regulate it and make some money off of it. And then a year or two down the line, they're going to say, where's the money? Because sports betting is a low margin industry. And especially if you set it up where the operator can write off their marketing expenses. And as you've seen, everything's a marketing expense these days. Billions are being spent on marketing in the sports betting space. So a lot of these states are coming up dry on this promised revenue. And they're going to go back to these operators and they go, hey, you promised us more revenue. And the operators are going to say, well, if you want the big money, let us do the iCasino. Let us do the online gambling. That's where the big money is. And they're right. It is where the big money is. And I think that's how this Trojan horse is going to wheel into the city of Troy and, uh, you know, be opened up. So what does that do to sports betting? Does that marginalize it? Does it make it go not as, as, as in our face as it is right now? Or is it a bigger piece than what it could have been. It's just sort of a another angle to make money for these operators. I think in time, it's going to settle back into largely what it's viewed as in Las Vegas, which is as an amenity, mm. as complementary to the gambling process. You know, because sports books have long been at the back of the casino, and you you got to weave through a lot of slot machines and table games to find the sports book, and that's on purpose. I think we're going to kind of get back to that, where the sports book is going to be just a part of the online casino that DraftKings or FanDuel is going to have available to to consumers. And I don't know if that's good or bad. It, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on that because I, I really believe in the sports betting industry as a whole. I think this ecosystem has room to grow. This is a large, a $300 billion total accessible market sports betting is. And... I believe there's more than one way to skin the cat. There is more than one way to operate a sports book. And I'm hoping that we're going to see some innovation to capitalize on that. Circuit Sports here in Vegas has put their foot down as saying we are a sports betting company. And they built Circa with obviously Stadium Swim, which is an outdoor now pool with huge screens and betting opportunities. And they've got the gigantic sports book. They call it the biggest sports book in the world. And so they're very active on Twitter and social media, and they want people to know that they are running their business a different way, but it's just here in Vegas. They're in Colorado. They're in Iowa. They're looking to expand, but for the most part, they are, are, are based in, in Vegas. Do you see one day customers demanding 
a different model than the European model that's being run so much on the East Coast? I definitely do. I think there, as I mentioned, there's room for a lot more different approaches to sports betting. Look, Circa is probably the first casino. No, I'll change that. Circa is the first sports book that built a casino around it. Uh, you know, I just mentioned how the sports book used to be an amenity. No, in Circa, Las Vegas, the sports book is the center of the casino and the rest of the casino kind of flows around it. Uh, I think there's room for that. I think, look, if you were to take a distribution curve, a bell curve of sports bettors, uh, you know, we used to see in school with a you know high arc in the middle and kind of a bell shape. There, the the meaty part of that middle are the betters that lose between zero and four percent. That's just a little bit better than what the sports book wants to give you, though. And, and for the most part, they want sports betters to lose more than that. So they tend to cater towards that that left tail of of consumers that lose at a greater than 8% clip. They really don't like the guys like myself and others that are just barely losers or they're perhaps sharp betters and they're winners. And so as a result, they try to avoid them as best they can. But that is the meaty part of the curve. And so if you can appeal to the sharp betters or the aspirational sharp betters, you're going to get a lot of guys, moreover, a lot more than the sharp bettors that lose at that zero to four percent. And you know what? If you're booking and uh, you know making three percent of ten billion, it's better than making ten percent of you know two billion uh, by you know cutting off your nose to spite the face and not dealing to basically half of the the desired audience. How did you see the Aaron Rodgers decision by some of the books to go on a rumor to pull their numbers down or to adjust their rumors, adjust their numbers based upon a rumor versus taking bets and moving based on the bets instead of what might be out there on the Twitter sphere or, you know, inside information, if you will, the, the books are being tipped off by somebody who may or may not know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Uh, how much is that follow the leader or one book pulls it down? So they all pull it down. And, and then what do you make a circus decision to, to leave the numbers up and keep taking bets and move the numbers based upon the money? Matt, the cool thing about sports betting and what draws me to it is it's an information market. And you are betting based on the information you have or you have developed, whether that be quantitative information that you've modeled or qualitative information that you've picked up through any other source. And when you have asymmetric information, that's when you can have an advantage over the book. And the book is always trying to make sure that they don't get caught with the wrong side of asymmetric information. So they heard a qualitative source that said that, Aaron Rodgers is, pl is planning to retire, and they reacted to that information. I can't really fault them for that. However, I thought Circa's approach where they said, you know what, in the past, what we've seen is that when there's asymmetric information, it's bet upon. We're going to wait and see if the really sharp guys are betting into this. And they kind of sat back and said, well, you know what, the really sharp guys aren't betting into this just yet. So therefore, there might not be as much credence to this rumor. You know, they kind of, they played some chess there. They moved two or three steps ahead. Uh, and that was, that was beneficial to them. And then, of course, when it came out that Rodgers was headed back, uh, it made those books that pulled the line down seem to be a little bit too reactionary to something that wasn't quantifiable. Um, again, I don't fault those books for taking that step. That's their right to do so. 
But it was interesting to see that, you know, some guys are playing chess while others are playing checkers. You know, it's interesting because you look at the the rumors and the, the, the news cycle and, and what's out there. And, and we were talking to Chris Andrews a little bit about this in the last podcast from the South Point, where he was saying he hated to book the NFL draft because he felt like it wasn't sports. It was sports light like, but it was information that was out there that he couldn't get first, that he couldn't run a model on. He couldn't break down a game. He, he was basically on par with the public in terms of what information was going to break and what information was going to be out there. You know, what, what do you make of, of that where, you know, the, the books don't like events where they actually are on, on even footing or even playing field when it comes to information? That's fair. Uh, you, the NFL draft, any of those draft props where there's a possibility, I think Todd Furman said it on, on one of your other uh, episodes, there's a possibility there's 100% correct information out there that somebody knows, and now you're offering them a betting market? That's that's a slippery slope. That's, that's not what this was intended for. Mm-hmm. So look, I don't mind that some, some sports are easier to book than others. Uh, I recognize that. I never expect to get 10 dime limits on an NFL draft prop or on, uh, you know, WNBA quarters or something like that, a a small derivative prop that has very low liquidity. That's understandable. Um, But at the same time, these are bookmakers and the way they do their job, the ones that do it well is they take a bet and move the number. They take a bet and move the number. So, uh, you know, if you smart, if you start small enough, you can book something like the NFL draft based on, taking a bet and moving the number. And you can usually come out just fine because 11 is still larger than 10. Why is the European model not like that? What, what is it, uh, what is it about the Europeans that have them be, you know, so automated offer basically bets on everything, but limit them extremely low, extremely low limits and not, moving numbers based upon money instead moving numbers based upon either what other people are doing or what they think is going to happen. Uh, I wish I knew, <laughs> uh, here's my take. And this is just my take. It's a cultural issue. Um, over in, in Europe, it seems to be accepted that sports betting is an entertainment tax. It is just a way for you to have a little extra money on the game to make it a little more exciting for you. And it's not intended to be any sort of profitable exercise. Uh, in most European countries, gambling is not taxable because it's not winnable. Uh, if you're a professional gambler, then you get taxed. But that seems so prohibitive to a lot of people over there that it's not worth going down that road. In the United States, we take a little bit of a different approach to things. Uh, If we have a market for something, we intend for you to be able to try to win at that market. And that's what's a bit disingenuous in the current state of sports betting is these commercials, which are everywhere. I'm in New Jersey and their commercials are everywhere, uh, are basically saying, come on in and win. And if you were to go in and win, or even even if you don't win, if you demonstrate that you have the ability, the intelligence, and the preparation to beat the market, they come back and they say, mm, "No, you're not. You're not our intended audience." When we said everybody come in and win, we didn't mean the people that actually win. We meant the you know everybody else. And and that's that's something that doesn't sit well with Americans. It's it's why everyone likes to play the stock market. It's why everyone likes to. Uh, you know, find the best deal on things. It's it's sort of how we're wired that if you work hard enough, you can get ahead and you can be successful. Uh, and sports betting should be no different. It's interesting to me 
as a media member to watch the media side of things and to watch who is being hired and who is being put out as a brand ambassador and what they're trying to, who they're trying to market to. And right now it's trying to market to the masses. Do you ever think that there'll be enough people, maybe not on your level, but there'll be enough people who actually care about price and care about how they're being treated and cared about the limits they're receiving that the marketing will change that, uh, you know, a circa type of book could be national and could market to those types of gamblers. Oh, I definitely think so. And I, I think we're on the cusp of that happening. I think there's a lot of, possibilities out there. It could go either either which way. There could be something like Circa that, that propagates nationally. There could be offshore titans that uh, you know have been out of the U.S. market for years that go down the regulation path. And you know what? Regulators have long said they're open to that. Mm. They've, they've said it's not a closed door. If you have cleaned up your act, we'll talk to you and you can kind of come on in and pay the tax revenues that other people pay. I think that could be a possibility. Uh, you know, the betting exchange uh, where we take the whole bookmaking philosophy out of it and just have it be like an open call exchange as to price discovery on the best possible price. There's a lot of different options here that we haven't explored in the US beyond this recreational model. And I think we will because as I mentioned, this is a huge market. There is definitely room for other approaches. Could a bet Chris or a pinnacle ever come onshore? Oh, I think so. Definitely. Uh, it, it really depends on them. It depends on do they want to go through that hassle. Uh, and I think they do because I think they see that the offshore industry is not growing anymore. It's not going to disappear. The offshore industry is always going to be around largely due to you can bet on credit. But they recognize that the thirst for regulated gambling is extremely high in the United States. It is growing the market. There are people that are betting on sports now that wouldn't have normally bet on sports if it hadn't been regulated and legalized. And it extends beyond the United States. Canada's getting involved. Latin America, sports betting is becoming huge in Latin America. And a lot of these companies are like, you know what? We have the resources. We, ha we have the technology to expand themselves and become major players in these markets. Uh, and largely they've, they've taken that approach. Bet Chris, for instance, they are fully regulated in Latin America. They are a partner of the NFL and a major league baseball. They've done very well for themselves there. And I don't see any reason why they would be stonewalled if they were to try to get into many of the U S states that are you know worth it for them. Do you think the average person who gambles knows how influential the offshores like a pinnacle or a bet Chris are when it comes to opening numbers? They need to know. So in other words, that's always the question everybody asks. Well, how does Vegas know? You know, where, where does the line originate? Uh, and, you know, I'm sure Chris Andrews could have told you this. The line doesn't originate anywhere. The line kind of gets price discovered into place. And yes, there is somebody who hung a line at some point sometime couple days ago and sharp betters have hammered that line into a flat piece of metal that is is now razor thin and can be hung everywhere in the world and it moves based on information and it moves based on action at faraway places uh, it's a global ecosystem the sports betting market and i think a lot of betters need to realize that when they're looking at the DraftKings line or the FanDuel line that's not somebody in some ivory tower in the DraftKings building that is saying, you know, this is what the line should be and, and setting it in stone. Uh, they're just reacting. 
they're just reacting to everything, market forces all over the world uh, to, to as they best see fit. When a number moves dramatically in for, for like an offshore and everyone's following that number, how, how dangerous is that? For, like, do you ever see a book just saying, basically, we're going to do our own business and we don't care what happens everywhere else? And go back to the days where you had different numbers, where you could have an NBA game where one book was at minus four and a half and a different book was at minus seven. Do you ever think we get back to those days? We won't get back to that because there's too many people out there that have these worldwide operations as betters that pick off all of those numbers and make it pretty disadvantageous for any book to really step out of line. Uh, what we do have, though, is we have market makers in, in sports betting. And these are the books that when they move, the rest of the world follows. Uh, the rest of the world, if they were to move, the rest of, you know, other books wouldn't follow them, but they'll follow the Pinnacles and the Bet Chris and Circa is coming up as a market maker. And I think the guys from Deck Prism there in Vegas, they're doing a great job of starting to make markets. Um, even Bet Online is actually a, a sharper book than they used to be because they're getting into making markets. Hmm. And these are the books that are saying, okay, you know what? We've kind of figured this sport out. We're able to process the information that comes in very quickly, very efficiently, and move our number confidently. And other books take notice. And I would like to see more books attempt to be market makers starting out in just a niche sport of, you know, okay, we are the market maker for Formula One racing or something like that. And they focus on that. And that slowly expands. And that's, you know, that's the approach Circa took in, in Vegas. They were starting with just, um, I think it was like college basketball. They started to put their lines out first because they were and they were they were stumbling along the way. They were having they were getting bet into heavily, and they've expanded that. And they're very sharp in NASCAR now through through Metcalf, and they're very sharp in uh, college football as well. So they've slowly expanded their footprint as a market maker, and that's that's really good for the ecosystem is to have more than one market maker because now the books have to always be head on a swivel to find out where the price should be going, and we have these these other sports books that are, are doing a great job of, of kind of being more confident in the pricing. You mentioned Ed Miller and Matthew Davido's deck prism here in Vegas. And it, it kind of, I wanted to bring this up so I can get to it now. It's a good segue. So there was a thing that went down with Barstool sports and their sports book with Penn national, where basically they called professional sports gamblers card counters. And it had to do with one gambler in particular who was using essentially their free roles to, double down and or hedge on his own bets. So he'd put down one side at this and then come down the other side and guarantee himself a win every time he was playing. And they eventually kicked him out and said, that's a card counter. We don't want those people here. And Ed Miller went to, to David Portnoy on Twitter and said, Hey, look at deck prism. This is what we do. We could help you guys. Now I know it wasn't, you know, David was never going to go ahead and answer you know Ed's tweet, but what what do you make of a company like that where Deck Prism's trying to find ways of letting sports books be more comfortable in in their position and not be so afraid of guys like you or guys who are going to be able to look at an angle and maximize their return? Yeah, I am very bullish on what Deck Prism is doing. Uh, the one thing I've talked to Ed and, and Matt extensively, and the one thing that I think is brilliant that they're doing is there's no line of demarcation between pregame and in-game, in their opinion. It just rolls through. So in other words, where some books, they, they put up a pregame line 
and then the, you know, when it gets to be in-game, they switch to a different odds provider, different risk manager, and they they manage their in-game product differently with much higher VIG spread. You know, they might do like minus 115 or minus 118 on either side of their in-game betting, but pre-game it was minus 110. Why are they less confident on their in-game pricing? Whereas Deck Prism is saying, look, we are confident in our price all through pre-game to tip off or first pitch. And as it goes along, we're continuing to model and, and price this market. And they're, they're also willing to kind of do that and not have it be delayed. So in other words, many sports books struggle with in-game betting because the action is still going on. And even though they usually have a quicker feed through Sport Radar or Bet Genius, they still kind of make that delay just in case this person betting is located in the stadium and he's, he's ahead of us. So they, they build in that delay. And Deck Prism's like, you know what? We can take out that delay by only offering markets when play is stopped. Uh, you know, and look, nobody likes a bad betting experience, right? Like we don't the, the circle, the circle of death, they call it, is is the worst <laughs> spinning part wheel of, of death. Yes, <laughs> is, the, is the worst part of sports betting is because you know you have this feeling that you're getting free rolled, you're getting taken here. Uh, you want your bet to be approved right away because they offered a price, you offered a bet make the bet. It's a contract. Uh, and so we want to get, a, we, we want to get away from that. And that's what I think deck prism's biggest contribution to the ecosystem is going to be is getting us away from the spinning wheel of death and into, uh, you know, quick actionable sports betting the way everyone wants to be done. It's funny. I didn't notice this with the automated in-game betting until really here during the NHL season where I started to do, I would make a, a, in, a pre-game bet on what was happening for the total. So like, say I would go ahead and bet the under the under five and a half goals and then the game would start and I would watch the clock. And at certain points in time in the game, the system would automatically adjust the number like after the first five minutes the number would drop to, to to a number after the first you know 15 minutes it would drop to a number and then the second period after the first five minutes it, it was like that i mean if i'm noticing that i'm sure a lot of people are noticing this that the computer has these formulations and i haven't seen it so much with basketball or i haven't seen it as much as it would with football yet but that seems to be a problem right when we have like set benchmarks where the computer automatically is changing the number to a certain thing because I got I was able to hit middles a lot in the NHL wow. this year by by doing that by having okay it's going to drop down to three and a half here I'm per, I'm pretty confident in third period scoring so I've got five and a half under let's get over three and a half and I can middle it with four and middle it with yeah. five it, 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 I mean that, that can't be good long term right? No, I mean, that, that is a perfect example of seeing a market inefficiency as it's happening. Uh, because, you know, what? I don't know of a single sport where it's a linear uh, progression through the game in terms of scoring. You know, scoring is comes in bunches at certain times. You can think of any sport where you can figure that out, like baseball. There's more scoring in the first inning and the sixth inning. And the reason being there is the, that's the top of the lineup in the first inning. And in the sixth inning, you start to get tired pitchers. Uh, there's the lowest amount of scoring in the second inning and uh, the, the eighth and ninth inning. Because in the eighth and ninth inning, you have the closer. And in the second inning, you have the, the second half of the lineup basically coming up with that. These are the sort of things that as a sports better, you need to think through. And these aren't any quantitative thoughts that I'm having. These are just, I observe the game. I take mental notes. 
you took mental notes of uh, how their pricing is going throughout the period and noticing it updates at odd intervals, uh, fixed intervals. And you took advantage of that. I mean, it, that's the sort of thing with sports betting is you got to be always have your eyes open and look for situations where you can observe inefficiency and then figure out how can I take advantage of that? All right. So Captain, when I told the audience that we were going to have you on, I asked them for questions. So I've got a couple of them that I want to throw at you. The, the first one comes from TJ. Uh, and he's wondering if you're going to put out content on what you thought, uh, what's going to happen for the NFL season this year. You did one on baseball in 2020, five hidden factors for the NFL or college football betting. Do you think that you'll be doing that again this coming year? Uh, TJ, that would be a great idea for a video. Uh, I am a little backed up in terms of my content getting out. Uh, I've been working on a new site that we can talk about in a bit, but uh, that's been kind of preventing a lot of my other content like I was doing last year. I want to get back to that because that was so much fun to do those basically PowerPoint presentations and then present them onto YouTube and the feedback was great. Uh, but you know what? That's a great idea because we're seeing right now like vaccination is not proof that you won't catch COVID or that you won't miss a game. And that's going to play in the NFL this year. We know it. And so you got to review those COVID rules that the NFL just put out uh, about, you know, forfeiture as well as the 24 hour window versus the 10 day window. Um, so it's, you know, there's a lot of factors again, this NFL season that are going to come into play. Well, tell me before we ask the next question, let's get into your new venture, your new website. Tell the folks what you're up to and what you're doing, because it's pretty darn cool. Yeah. So uh, some time ago, Rufus Peabody, I'm sure your audience is very familiar with him. He's one of the, the best bettors in the world, and he's, he's also a, a really nice guy. Uh, he approached me about doing a website with tools and simulators and content that would appeal to people that want to take their game to the next level, the aspirational betters. And so we worked together and we, we put together a team of engineers and developers and data scientists. And I think we've put together some really cool items. Uh, I'll just walk through a couple of these things. We're going to have betting tools. And one of the reasons we want to have betting tools is there's there's a real dearth of information when it comes to pricing things out in sports betting these days. Like, what's the value of a half point? Well, if you Google that, you're going to find a calculator uh, on a certain website uh, that was written in 2006. <laughs> and it's still the same numbers. And those numbers were true as of 2006, but they're not true these days. The games have changed. The rules have changed. So a half point is worth a different amount than it used to be. Well, we're going to have tools to help you price out the, the proper value of a half point. Uh, tools to help you compare lines. So in other words, you, you're shopping your NFL Sunday and you see one book has minus three, minus 110, whereas another book has minus three and a half plus 105. Which one of those is the better line? We're going to have tools where you can just type it in and it'll tell you, oh, this one's better than that one. Wow. Uh, closing line value. Everybody can kind of calculate their closing line value. That's a that's the big buzzword, right? If if you're sharp, <laughs> you have closing line value. Uh, but it's troublesome sometimes to price your closing line value across numbers. In other words, the line opened at uh, minus three, and that's where you bet it, but the line closed at minus four and a half. Well, what's your closing line value across all those numbers and half points? We're going to have tools for that. But I think the star of the show is we're going to have a betting simulator, um, not betting simulator, but game simulator. 
So you enter in your power ratings, or you pick power ratings from around the web, the, the Massey Peabody uh, power ratings, the ESPN FPI ratings, the 538 uh, ELO ratings. You can enter them into our simulator, and it'll simulate out the season 10,000 times and give you pricing for various futures bets, such as odds to win the Super Bowl, uh, number of season wins over under, uh, will they make the playoffs, yes or no. And you can shop those around at the various sports books because everybody's got lines for those these days. And we're even going to be able to price out, like, what are the odds that Dallas wins less than four games this year? Because there are places that put up these props of Dallas under four and a half wins, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, And we found that the pricing on those things is sometimes a, a bit off. So if you have decent power ratings and you have the the kind of the the process behind yourself of of how you make bets, you can turn that into quantitative uh, numbers. Um, and and I think that's the real key for our site is we want to give consumers the ability that maybe they have opinions on sports betting, but they don't have the the coding chops to make a mm-hmm. model, or they they don't have you know some some expertise in R to to model things out. Uh, you come with your numbers and we'll turn them into a modeled projection for you uh, and kind of like span that gap that that other people used to fall into. Um, and then real quick, the other major part of our site will be content. And that's that's my role. Rufus is the brains behind the betting. Uh, you know, you're, you're in no better hands than with Rufus when it comes to the brains of betting. Uh, me, I my specialty, my superpower is explaining things. So I'm going to have content that explains key concepts in sports betting as well as advanced concepts in sports betting uh, via courseware. You know, we're going to have some courses you can take and maybe take a little quiz at the end to kind of drive it home or just articles with videos. Uh, It'll be very video heavy. And I think, you know, it could be a a site that a lot of bettors use to, if not win more, then at least lose less. And I think that that's a key that a lot of people look forward to. Very, very cool. Yeah, the audience. I've worked with Jeff Ma and, and, and Rufus for a while on Bet the Process, on their podcast, and you know they, they often talk about educating in, in the marketplace. You didn't give the name of the website. Though. What, I know. I just, I just thought of that. What is what is the name of the website? Because I'm curious if Bet the Process of that podcast is going to live at this new website. Uh, the, the website is unabated, unabated.com, uh, and uh, no. Uh, you know, Jeff and Rufus have a great thing going with that podcast, and they're going to continue to do that podcast on their own. Um, I did, you know, I think they want to keep that separate for now, but we're going to have a lot of cool things that come up on this website and a lot of cool people that hopefully join us down the line to make it even better. Mm. Uh, but yeah, unabated.com. I got to work on my my pitch. <laughs> if I, I don't put the name of it in there and talk for five minutes, but without the yeah. name, that was... Yeah. On video, we got it because you're, you're wearing the unabated shirt, but on the audio portion of it, you want to make sure the focus goes. And, and what, is this site live yet? When will it launch? Uh, we are starting our beta very soon here. We have a group of users coming in. And if you go to unabated.com and sign up for early access, you get put on our list. And we're working our way through that list in terms of uh, when people signed up. So I think we first created that website live in mid-March. Mm-hmm. So people started signing up then. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people that have signed up and we're going to work our way through that list and everyone will get in by the time we launch. And I guarantee we're going to launch before the NFL season, because like I just said, there's some NFL goodies in our simulator that you're going to want to bet into. So hopefully you, you get that first mover advantage. You're early in that early access. You can find some of the bad pricing and, and take advantage. 
I love it. Yeah, I signed up right away when you guys posted that. I, I am really excited to see what you guys are going to do with this. I think it's going to be super cool and very big for everybody. I think the audience will, will love to have the opportunity to, to be a part with that and fool around with that. All right, Matt wants to know, uh, how does you how do you handle a bet that has a major discrepancy between books? One book is being plus 250 for a bet, while the other could be at plus 180 for the same bet. Yeah, so this comes back to knowing who the market makers are. Uh, because if the book that has the discrepancy is a market maker, well, I'm going to trust their number more than I'm going to trust the secondary book who, who maybe doesn't have the reputation of, of knowing this market as sharply. I'll give you a real-world example. Uh, I like to bet NFL props during the NFL season. I don't necessarily bet the NFL for much more than if I find value here and there. But I like to kind of go through all the running back lines and wide receiver lines and find where the mismatches are and bet, bet those performance props. Uh, and I found over the last year or two, uh, whenever my best number available was at FanDuel, I was in trouble because uh, my record at FanDuel with these props was, was pretty poor. I feel like they are one of the best market-making books on player performance props in the NFL. Um, and you know my my results had bared that out. And now going forward, if I'm shopping around and that best line is at FanDuel, then I got to rethink my my numbers. Um, so that's how it works, though. Like that, you should have a list of just about any sport, especially sports that you actively bet, to know what's the true barometer, what's the true price. These guys are the true price for this sport. So therefore, if I find something that's off on their site, maybe that's that's not the one I want to bet. That's a really interesting answer that FanDuel really, I mean, it would make sense from the DFS standpoint that they would have player props and they would be locked in on those things as given their projections for, for, for DFS markets and, and DFS contests. But like last night, it was, this is the first time I've ever seen this. So, and I know softball is not a very big market, but people are betting on the Olympics right, right now. Mm -hmm. So there was a, there was a game between Mexico and Canada for the bronze medal. And there were books that had Mexico plus one and a half, there's a reverse run line from anywhere from minus 200 to plus 250, which is just a ridiculous spread. It, it, it didn't make any sense. There was an offshore book that somebody posted that showed me that you could get Mexico plus two and a half runs at plus 150. Now I had plus one and a half at plus one twenty, but it feels like that right now with the Olympic wagering or smaller markets that Nobody knows anything when it comes to these smaller sports. <laughs> Fair? I think, Matt, you're absolutely right. Uh, I've been working almost heads down for the past couple of weeks. So I didn't bet anything on the Olympics so far, but just what I'm seeing through Twitter. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if you are the kind of guy that doesn't mind doing a lot of line shopping, you're finding crazy value when it comes to betting on the Olympic Games because there is no market maker. And so a lot of these books are shooting blind. Um, they're just kind of copying a number that they saw and then that number changed. They didn't update their number. And yeah, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of money you can get down on these. And this is going to be one of those low liquidity areas, but Hey, a couple hundred dollars with a 10 to 20 to 30% edge that adds up pretty quickly. And you get a few of those strung up, strung through the 16 days of the Olympics. And at the end of it, you got a pretty nice profit for yourself. Yeah, Team USA opened in their first game. The total was 11. It went from 11 to 9 to 8 to 6 to 4 in the final game in terms of where they were. Wow. So the books, 
the books were way off on USA softball. And I'll give Dave Sherapan credit for this because he's the one he, his daughters play elite softball. So he knew all the different teams and the breakdowns. And he was looking at the numbers going, this is way wrong guys. And he was pointing it out to me and other people going, Hey, this is nuts. And so I started watching it and Vegas books weren't betting softball, weren't booking softball for that very reason. But the East coast books were booking it like crazy. And so look, it's 50 bucks, you know, the it's low limit. No one's coming in betting, you know, two or three dimes on this type of stuff. But wins are wins, and you just go ahead and you take it. And if you're seeing an eleven, and the, the game is two to three, you know three to two, it's a no sweat, easy cash, and you go back and fire on the next one. So it, it is interesting to see how they're, you're mentioning there isn't a market maker right now for the Olympics, and these books are just kind of chucking up these numbers because they want the action, but they really don't know what they're doing. Like nobody really knows anything. Is that one reason why you stay away from NFL sides and totals? That there's just so much there's so many sharp numbers out there and there's so much money in it with people coming in that it's hard to find value. Absolutely. Uh, the NFL is the most efficient sport in the world. I believe, uh, EPL might be slightly more efficient, uh, overseas. Yeah. If you can beat the NFL, well then God bless you. I mean, you are, you are really doing your homework and I'm not saying there are guys that can't beat the NFL. Uh, it's just really tough. And if you are a aspirational better, uh, Aspire elsewhere. Aspire to something that has a little bit less of a barrier to entry. Because yes, the ceiling is super high in the NFL. You can you can bet, uh, you know, half a million a game easily at most sports books on an NFL side. However, uh, it's just it's just really tough. It's really tough to find an edge, especially if you're finding that edge like on Sunday morning. Nah, no, nah, you know, there's there's just not enough asymmetry in the market at, at that hour. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't find your edges somewhere in the NFL. Like I said, I like to shop around the props. I think it's still a fairly soft market. And for whatever reason, NFL props are taken by a lot of sports books. At, at, you, know, you can get a nickel down on an NFL prop, no sweat, at a lot of books. Um, and so that's kind of fun. You know, I, I cut my teeth betting props back in the day. So it's mm-hmm. nice on NFL weekends. I, you know, kind of hunker down for a couple hours and find some good lines and, and some projections and, and go with that. And I may have more on props on an NFL Sunday than I have on actual games. Mm. Um, but I still watch all the NFL games. I mean, that's right. the fun of the NFL. <laughs> like it's the most watchable betting sport there has ever been. And uh, so, you know, that's why they're king. Yeah, I learned a big lesson because so I, I I've always been betting, but I with the daily juice now I bet every single day. So I this is the first time going into year two of actually going through this process of betting every single day. And my NFL wagering in the regular season, I was up eleven units, and then I gave nine and a half back in the playoffs. So I learned a big lesson about betting. How like it's one thing to be good in the regular season, and then the and then the playoffs just everything changes and it became super sharp and super difficult. And, you know, I'm losing games by one or two points. I'm still losing just because of how sharp the NFL really is for the sports books. It feels like early in the year, September, even college football in September, do you feel like those are the times to really attack early in the year when the books don't have that level of information? Oh, I definitely, uh, I don't know who told me this, but somebody said they only bet weeks one through four in the NFL um, because after that, it, it's it's too sharp. Uh, I have seen no proof to dissuade that opinion. That that sounds pretty pretty mm-hmm. accurate from what I've seen. Uh, yeah, no, there are things, and here's something to keep in mind for your audience: is as the market gets more efficient, 
other things have more value. For instance, teasers. You know, everyone knows about the Wong teaser, uh, teasing through the the three and the six and the seven. Uh, they increase in value because that market becomes more and more efficient. So when games are lined at those numbers, they're more likely to land fairly close to those numbers. So uh, the key numbers become even more key over time th- this way. And the Wong teasers become more valuable. Um, and there's going to be other situations like that in sports where as markets become more efficient, then when you're getting a little something extra, it becomes a little bit better for you, uh, whether that be parlay boosts or whether that be uh, you know teaser odds and things like that. So be on the lookout for those times when they give you a little something extra because you know, inefficient markets that they're worth just the more. It's a great point. And so there's two things that we talk about a lot. People ask me all the time. One is fading the public and looking at public money going on one side. And, and, you know, generally speaking, I don't like being with 85% of the market, whatever that be, bets or money. I don't like being on that side. And then the other is what to do with the free rolls, what to do with the odds boosts. And so I kind of want to get your take on that because I've been just anecdotally looking at it, I'm angry whenever I'm on a bet and I watch a book odds boost it. So if I'm on a side of a money line and then I watch my 110 go to plus 150, I'm generally angry about that because I don't trust the books. I think that they're actually laying a trap to come and get me. Am I overly sensitive with that? Am I wrong to see that? I, I don't, I don't trust the odds boost. Interesting. Um, I've never thought of it, Matt, to be honest with you. Uh, I will say, I, there was, uh, I'll, I'll name names, Barstool had the Overs Club. And yep. like, if you were to bet the over, you got like a free jacket or something like that. I'm like, that's a great way to have people bet the wrong side. You know, uh, there's, I saw another one, you know, the no run in the first inning club. Uh, and, and my thought to that, and I've always said this to people, if you're betting first innings and you're betting the no, you're doing it wrong. Because the the advantage is on always betting the yes. It's not always there, but it's you know if you're you're more likely to be betting the yes if you're betting with an edge in first even, inning. Even with high juice. Well, so the juice is largely caught up. Back in the day, you know, okay. it was rare that you had more than minus one twenty to the yes because the general public says it's one inning. How could you know? I'm going to bet the no because we can get through one inning. Right. Um, but again, it's the top of the lineup and, and pitchers pitch different ways in the first inning for whatever reason, mentally, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the value has always been in, in betting the yes in the first inning. Um, but now the, the books have largely caught up with that. And I was looking today, there was a minus minus one ninety on the first inning. Yes. In the, um, the Toronto Boston game. And I was it's like, one, wow. I thought it was one forty five last night. It's one, it's up to one ninety. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because, well, the reason for that is because I, I, I'm heavily into that game is because of the fact that Rob, you've got Robbie Ray, who has been pretty good in the first inning, but the Red Sox bats are pretty hot, but Garrett Richards yeah, ERA Richard. in the first yeah. inning, it's 8.56. I think in the first inning, he's given up right. 18 earned runs in the first inning. Yeah. Yeah. No, Garrett Richards is the poster boy for yes in the first this year. And there's always one, there's always one guy that's the, 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 the clear, you know, this guy just doesn't have it in the first inning. Um, but yeah, I saw, I saw minus minus one ninety on that today. And the funny thing is I saw some site had, you know, we're going no in the first inning club today, (laughs) or or sorry, we're going yes in the first inning club, um, uh, for that, that club. Anyway, point being is odds boosts, things like that, you need to be able to quantify what they're worth. And it's what they're worth to you. And some of those odds boosts just aren't worth a whole lot. You know, one of the misnomers of 
uh, sports betting that a lot of U.S. bettors can't quite crack, uh, grasp onto is as you move further away from minus 110, the incremental uh, increase in probability decreases as, as the number increases. For instance, a move from minus 110 to minus 120 is greater than a move from minus 660 to minus 720. In other words, like even though that seems like, oh, that's 60 cents, and the other one was only 10 cents, uh, the, actual, the actual probability increase is, is far less because uh, it's an exponential odd system, and that kind of confuses people. So I often see a lot of these odds boosts where they tack on an insignificant amount of, of increase into the payout to the point where it doesn't really overcome what should be the natural VIG in the situation, and the odds boost really isn't worth anything. Um, and you know, some of these books, if you, if you bet into too many of these odds boosts, they tell you, okay, you're no longer eligible for promotional items on our website or you're limited. So you know, use them judiciously and, and find the, the odds boosts that are actually worth something to you. Hmm. All right, we'll end it with this topic because it's one that that kind of has stuck with me from my talk with Chris Andrews, where he basically compared a book to a restaurant and said that you'll get the same service, but basically they're able to offer different things to different people. And sometimes a guy gets a, a meal comped. Some guys, some guys will get a free drink. Some guys will get a free dessert. It's not available to everyone. It's up to the, the restaurant to be, uh, it's up to their discretion as to what they want to offer. Does that ever become part of a, of a, of a bigger conversation where, and I know we don't want government involved in what we do with book with bookmaking but is there ever a way where we see some uniformity into what is offered to different gamblers where you're not getting limited that blacklisting someone's either illegal or against the rules that you're not able to control if you're a bookmaker what book what what bet you're taking from home yeah no that's a that's a good question matt and i see chris andrew's point about it uh, obviously, a house player is going to be afforded things that a sharp better is not going to be afforded. We we get that. I think it comes off as as disingenuous or unfair when you you don't approach it in this is what we're willing to give to everybody to anybody. Uh, and you know, the minimum bet limits is is something they've done in Australia, and it hasn't really helped the industry there. They, the books work around it. I'm not really in favor of minimum bet limits in terms of regulation. I would like to see posted limits from all books. In other words, have every single book tell you, this is the minimum we're willing to take from all bettors. And if somebody wants to limit people down to a dollar a bet, then they're going to have to post that, you know, from all bettors, we're only willing to take a up to maybe a dollar on this. And that's going to look very shameful for them uh, if they have to post that and say, you know, we're this big mega billion dollar corporation, uh, but we're so scared of sharp action that uh, for everybody, you just get a dollar and you'll have to ask if you can get more. Nobody would want to do that, right? They would all, they don't feel embarrassed. They don't feel shameful that, you know, they've, they've said they're a big sports betting company, but they're not willing to take the wager. So have it be, have it be, look, and Circa does this the right way. They say, here are our limits. And anybody, anybody can come and get these limits. And if you want more, you just ask. And I would love to see that. And it, they don't have to be super high limits. The circuit limits are not super high. Any, every time they post them, somebody always replies, man, these are real low. Well, yeah, they're low because that's what they're comfortable with. And you can ask and get more. Um, I, I think that's the fairest way to approach it is just have posted limits. 
and not have to do the guesswork of, I did all this work to try to beat this market and I go bet it and they're only willing to take $2. Um, you know, that's, that's just, it's insulting almost for, for a lot of bettors. Yeah. If you're a book, you're supposed to take bets, right? That's, a, that, that's, that's your job. You're in the business for taking bets. And if you're not taking bets, then what are you doing exactly? You're just kind of hanging out and posting numbers for fun. So yeah. I think that, I think that's part of the problem. And, and I just, I, I feel for people, I mean, like I, I'm not betting, you know, a thousand dollars a game. So like I, I, but I feel for people who do this and, they do the research and they do the work and, and they get you know up there and then you know th they're winning and they're making money and then then the book comes in and says sorry you know you're, you're now going to get 50 bucks or and then the guy next to you comes up behind you and says i want you know two grand and the book's like yep sure come on in and yeah. you get and it's un-american in a lot of ways there's no other business in america that says if you're good at it we're going to hurt you and stop you from doing it like it just doesn't make any sense to me right. and i get and i get the dichotomy i get the the symbiotic relationship between the book and the player and i understand that that you need the liquidity from that guy who's going to bet the two grand and lose to pay out the sharp better who's going to win but it still does not feel fair when you refund wagers and you treat the guy who wins or who knows more than the book or was on the right side of a number that that person's somehow evil because the guy who's not doing that research is is there and they'd rather take his money than anybody else. So it's just one of those unfortunate situations. I think the more podcasts like this and the more conversations we have, I think that people will start to realize like, wait, that's not right. Like, what do you mean? That's actually happening in this country? It's like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's happening. It's happening all the time. Hey, all right, Matt, Kevin, one, yeah. one, more, one more point to that is yeah. that's where regulation comes into play in terms of enabling uh, low barriers to entry to the markets to get these innovative companies to come in and disrupt and try to shake up what's the norm. Uh, if we have states where they're only allowing for maybe one to four operators, they're going to be those same one to four operators that take this recreational model. But if we have states that allow for an open market, there's going to be competition, innovation, capitalism, and the consumer is going to win out in situations like that. Yeah, please, New York City, do not do the one New Hampshire operator deal. Like, don't do that. Like, if I can beg anybody in New York, do not let them copy New Jersey and you'll be all fine. Like, it just doesn't make yeah. any – that New Hampshire model is no. That D.C. model is no. Oregon, no. <laughs> like, yep. we have states that are doing it right. Copy the states who are doing it right. All right, Captain Jack, give out the website once again for people who want to be following along. Uh, your YouTube channel as well where they can get your content. Sure. Uh, the website is unabated.com. You can go there now. You can sign up for early access. We'll get you in before the NFL season so you can take advantage of some of our tools and finding those wagers for the NFL season ahead. And YouTube. I am still endeavoring to put up content up there on YouTube. Uh, just search for Captain Jack Andrews. If you search for Captain Jack, you're going to get a whole lot of Johnny Depp. Search <laughs> for Captain Jack Andrews. You'll find me. And uh, I got plenty of content from last summer that is still relevant. And uh, so it, you can definitely take a, an evolutionary step forward in your sports betting by watching uh, that channel. Is your make $100,000 a year video your number one video? Uh, no, my, my number one video is the video I did with Dink back in the day of uh, how to win at sports betting without using computers or model. Um, and it was just me and Dink talking on a Zoom stream, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, obviously he's very engaging. And so it was a, it was a great video. But the other video that you mentioned is how to make $100,000 a year betting on sports, uh, and it's not clickbait. Uh, yeah, I put that out after I got to 10,000 followers on YouTube. I think it's a good video. I, I think there's a lot of great content in there that's applicable for everybody. So 
hopefully uh, that that helps some people out. Yeah, it comes up on my feed like every time I'm on YouTube. That's why I ask. Like, I always see oh, okay. it, whatever. It's mean, just basically why I'm on that content. So obviously the algorithm recognizes that you might like this video. I'm like, yes, I've watched it three times. Thank you very much. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's great stuff. Thank you for the time. This was super fun. I really appreciate you coming on. No problem, Matt. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Sharps Report. Please follow, subscribe, and pay attention to whatever we're doing here. There will be video for this coming out on YouTube, so be watching for that on the Betting Pros YouTube channel. You can follow me, Matt Peralt, on Twitter, at Sports Talk Matt. We'll be back next week, every Wednesday. It's the Sharps Report, right here on BettingPros.com. 